Now, when I was a young podcaster, I was told never do to kill a mockingbird. It will be way too complicated to get into because it's a perfect film. But I have no sense on Ryder's Bagel Basket, so to kill a mockingbird, it's in the basket. The Ryder's Bagel Basket. Oh, dang. I'm so excited! I'm so scared! Oh, no. Hey, would you mind putting that gun away? My wife doesn't care, but I'm a very timid fellow. You idiot. Don't be mean. We don't have to be mean. Because, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket, and it is Father's Day, and that, of course, means that my dad's back for To Kill a Mockingbird. Dad, want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> so we are doing To Kill a Mockingbird, which is, is this tied for your favorite movie of all time, This and Princess it's, Bride? Well, it's it's up there. I mean, uh, I love this movie. I love the book, um, and uh, Gregory Peck is amazing. So uh, You got to talk into the tip. I, yeah, I don't want to be saying that to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, it's great. It's a great movie. Yeah, so we have your rule that we had to start because of you, the blockbuster rule, a.k.a. the John Carlin rule, in a paragraph or less, what would the back of the blockbuster video package say for this movie? In 1930s, in rural Alabama, uh, an attorney and his family deal with the fact that he has to defend a uh, black man who's accused of assaulting a white woman. And uh, that's pretty pretty much it. It also covers her summer, too. Right, but I yeah. mean, it's the whole thing. Right. The book itself goes more into her summer. Like, there is more to do with Boo Radley in the book than in, in the movie. In the movie, it's literally like, hey, there's these dolls that look like us, and then Boo Radley's dad is like, fuck off! Well, yeah, I mean, th- they do try to create a mystique regarding Boo, Boo Radley um, in the movie to some degree. and uh, um, But, but yeah, a- a- as a matter of fact, the one thing that, that I was thinking about when I was thinking about this movie is how important Dill was in the book, but not in the movie. He's, he's yeah. sort of like an ancillary character who— You know who Dill is based on, right? Yeah, Truman Capote. When I was a young boy, people made fun of the way I spoke. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope he wasn't as ugly as that kid was in the movie. Sorry. No. Did I, did I ugly no. shame him? No, he he was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I no, felt no. bad for the kid. Well, that kid was on Star Trek. He was. Yeah, on on IMDb in order of importance, he's billed right after Gregory Peck. No. What's yeah. his name? Uh, John Menga, M E N G A. He was a child actor, he had a career, and then unfortunately in the 90s, he died from complications with AIDS. Oh my. So, um, but he was successful. Of, of all of, of the three children in this movie, he had the bigger career. Wow. See, I wouldn't have known. 
Lord, Aunt Stephanie, you nearly gave me a heart attack. <laughs> but also, they dressed him like Truman Capote. I guess even as a young boy, Truman Capote used to wore wear like all linen suits. Yeah, no, he was he was definitely overdressed considering the the uh, Finch kids pretty much wore overalls and jeans. Yeah, I I love the look that Jem gives him when they meet him for the first time. Like, uh. You know it's summer, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do love in this film uh, the backstory of how they casted Jem, which Jem, in my opinion, everyone says how great Scout is. To me, Jem is the most complicated character in this movie. Really? The brother? Yeah, I'll go into it in a minute. But the actor who plays him, uh, I got to read this to you. I got to put down the recorder and make sure I don't fuck everything up, but... But the kid who played him, his mother is like, you're going to audition for this movie. It's filming here in town. And he's like, I don't want to. And the mom's like, you'll get out of school for a day. And he goes, okay, I'm doing it. For a day? Yeah. Don't you remember when when you guys had me audition for Leave it to Beaver? Oh, you mean for the audition he was out of school for a day? Right. Oh, I thought you talked about, well, if you get the part, you're going to be out for a day. No. No, he was going to be out for the whole year. Yeah. No, he... So back then they filmed for like ninety days, so all summer long. Wow, boy, that's that's a wasted summer, huh? Yeah, that that kind of sucks for him. It's like, <laughs> great, I'm going to be in a movie. I get out. No, you get out for the summer. Ah, oh, dang. Um, so the kid who played Jim was why the hell is he all the way at the end? Philip Alford. Oh, okay. Um, he did this. He did Shenandoah. Oh, good movie. Fair Play. The Lloyd Bridge Show. Really? He was on the Lloyd Bridges Show. Wow. Um, Intruders. He did a lot of westerns, which makes sense. Um, and he was on The Magical World of Disney. Oh, really? Yeah. He's the one who froze Walt's head. No, he wasn't. Um, but w- this is the second time talking about Frank Overton, who plays Hectate, who plays the sheriff. He- we talked about him in our first season, and we've been doing this for like five seasons now, five years. And he was in Walking Distance and Twilight Zone. He played the adult version. He played Gig Young's dad. Oh, really? And in this, he plays a less confident man. <laughs> Hectate in this this movie, the sheriff in this movie... It seems like he's like, Atticus should be sheriff of this town. Well, apparently he was the best shot in the county, so... Yeah. Atticus has the moral backbone that everyone needs in this town. Although, you know, at the end, it's it's, it's the sheriff who, who basically creates the, the situation where... Yeah, because, because Atticus was so, so strong into to the, the word the word of law and the the rule of law that that he wasn't going to bend the rules even if it involved his kids. Well, no, he thought that he thought that Jem murdered. Oh no, I know that. But but I I love that that the sheriff is like, "No, your your son did not strangle this man to death. Look at his hands and look at Boo Radley's hands." Well, except he got a knife in the ribs. Yeah, but I don't think Jem had that. I don't think Jem I, I think they took. I th- thought they took Ewell's knife. I thought that, that. I thought that. I thought that Boo Radley twisted Ewell's hand and did like. Well, you never see that. 
that's how it is in the book. They make it very clear in Harper Lee's book that it was that it was Boo Radley who murdered this horrible, oh, no, oh, horrible no. man. Oh, no question about it. It was Boo. It was Arthur Boo Radley yeah. who who did it. But but in the movie, you you really can't. You, all you pretty much is see see. Um, uh, uh, scout in a in a ham in out, a ham costume. Ha- ham costume. Um, well, to think about it, I, at first I was like, "Who made that costume for her?" I totally forgot about Calpurnia, so I just had this image of Gregory Peck, our Atticus, being like, "How do I make a ham outfit?" Okay, I got all this paper mache, <laughs> and you know that Atticus is the type of person who says "papier mache." Well, y- you know who could have done it? Could have been the hot neighbor. Who, who, you know, I, I always thought that there was something going on between the two of them. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense. Like, she, when she says, Jim, your father has to do things that no other man should have to do. And that's why I want to talk about Jem, because this entire movie, Jem is deciding what type of person. Like, I noticed it this time watching it at the trial. He's deciding if he wants to be in the court of public opinion and believe what everyone on the jury believes or believe what Atticus and Tom Robinson and the look on his face. And when he comes to the conclusion, I think you see it for the first time when he asks um, Tom Robinson to catch with his left hand. Right. Right. And for me, this movie is less about scout and more about the turmoil of Jem. Well, that's that. That's interesting because obviously Scout is the narrator of the whole movie and the book. Yeah, and they never say who does the narration for um, Scout as an adult. And I mean, she would have been too young. Oh, you mean who 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 the, the adult ca- version adult person was? Because if this movie was made today, like the adult version, like you would see her reflecting, and it'd be someone famous like Reese Witherspoon or like Anne Hathaway, where they're. Well, it was done in 1965 or so. Right. So, and yeah. I'm wondering, listening to her voice, I'm wondering if it was like Joanne Woodward or like Anne Bancroft. Well, it could have been. I mean, so it's an uncredited uh, role? I couldn't find any names. It's probably on the Wikipedia, but on IMDb, it wasn't there. Wow. So, in any event, <laughs> the, the thing that, that really impressed me about Atticus Finch I mean, there's a lot of things that impressed me about Atticus Finch and, and Gregory Peck was that he, the, the character Atticus Finch, is the number one hero, according to um, the... Uh, American Film Institute. Yeah. And also um, Library of Congress now. Really? As well. Um, but ironically, the hero and villain of both the Library of Congress, which handles literature and AFI, their hero and villain are the same person because they're both from books. Hannibal Lecter and Atticus Finch. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So this film has won three Oscars. Um, can you guess? It was nominated for eight, but can you guess what the, the three Oscars have won? Didn't Gregory Peck win for Best Actor? Yes, and he thought he was going to lose to Jack Lemmon for The Day of Wine and Roses. Really? And he's like, oh, my performance isn't that good. Yeah, because we're all talking about The Day of Wine and Roses. (laughs) So I would assume that it might be for... um, Could it be for... uh, uh, cinematography? I mean, it's no, a, it was it was nominated. That so 
the cinematographer is Russell Harlan, who is a legend in cinematography, specifically black and white. He was the man who figured out how to shoot films in the South and Westerns in a certain light to make it like almost look like a photograph. Um, yeah, it's almost like sepia. Yeah. So he he's the man who is responsible for Red River and The Searchers and uh, for Thoroughly Modern Millie. And one of my favorite films of all time, The Great Race. <laughs> the Great Race. He I filmed, love that movie. He filmed The Great Race. Um, he was nominated. That wasn't in black and white, though. That was in color. That was, I think that was his first real, like, Panavision color movie. Interesting. Cinemascope. Um, but no, it was nominated for and won art direction for set decoration. Oh, okay. I guess. I'm honestly, I really think it won because of the courthouse. Because of how that film, how that scene looks, how they set it up the staging of it and how it just feels all drafty and the prison outside the courthouse. Oh, you mean the jail? Yeah, the town square. Um, And then the third one that it won for was screenplay by Horton Foote. I was going to say best adapted screenplay. Horton Foote had been nominated for three Oscars in his life, and guess how many he won? Well, I know at least one. I'm going to say three. He won two. Oh, okay. But the three that he was nominated for was To Kill a Mockingbird was his first, and right out of the gate, he won. Wow. Then he did Tender Mercies with Robert Duvall. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the one he lost right before, like, it was his last nomination was The Trip to Bountiful. Oh, okay. So, honestly, if you look at the titles, To Kill a Mockingbird, Tender Mercies, and The Trip to Bountiful, it sounds like a trilogy. <laughs> well, and two of them are, were Robert Duvall movies. I think... Duval has an uncredited cameo in Trip to Bountiful. Really? Um, John Hurd. Um, no, I'm wrong. So, so if he just hooked up with Duval a couple more times, he could have had a couple of more mo- uh, um, Oscars. I totally forgot that Tender Mercies was even a movie. <laughs> Everything about this film and everyone related to it are, are in association with it. The films that they made afterwards are very similar in tone and theme about coming of age because um, Robert Mulligan was the man who directed it. He also did The Summer of 42, um, The Man in the Moon, Clara's Heart, and one of Ma- I think this is Mom's favorite movie, Same Time Next Year. Oh, she likes... Well, she loves Alan Alda. Everyone loves Alan Alda. So, uh, it could have Have you been. seen those eyebrows? <laughs> um, but yeah, so he has uh, a style in his direction. Robert Mulligan makes movies about people who have to come of age and make difficult decisions and learn lessons, like everyone involved. And then you have Gregory Peck, who's like, I didn't think I was going to win the Oscar. <laughs> well, I mean, so, let, let's face it. <clears throat> The character of the of Atticus Finch is is so um, altruistic. Well, and, uh, that wasn't the word I was thinking of, but but uh, noble. So, yeah, he. I mean, and and you know, he's he's a single parent. He's an attorney who's obviously got some talents. He's um, a father who is trying to raise these two kids with, you know, with... The, Calpurnia. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and uh, 
you know, and he's trying to instill, you know, he keeps telling these stories to instill values in his children that he believes are, and, and they are, important life uh, values so that uh, the children aren't growing up in, in a situation where, you know, hey, let's just go shoot some, uh, you know, some turkeys and, and uh, uh, have a good old time. Yeah, <laughs> but but... When she gets to school, Scout sure beats the shit out of a bunch of guys. Except for the fact that that Gemma always stops her. Right, but but it, it, she picks the wrong people to fight. She picks the less fortunate. But it's only because they are ignorant and say things that are ignorant, and and um, and and she doesn't understand. And and that's a lesson for her. Well, my father always taught me never hit anyone no matter what. <laughs> Especially if he's a lot larger than you and has like five or six friends hanging around. <laughs> they got pipes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick a fight with these guys. They have chains and pipes. I think I could win this one. <laughs> I'm 5'6". They're about 6'5". They all look like they have muscles on them. I'm scrawny. So, uh, no, I mean, obviously the, the story about To Kill a Mockingbird, but also the story when, when, she, when, when she gets into the fight with... Um, Cecil Jacobs. Yep, and, and, uh, and they invite him over. Oh, that wasn't Cecil Jacobs. He was the other one. Um, the one was, was, it, was Walter Cun- Cunningham. Yeah, he, he, his, his father was the one who was paying in, like, rutabagas or something. Uh, like chestnuts. Chestnuts. Yeah. Chestnuts. Um, oh, what a horrible thing. Like, the rutabaga makes sense, like vegetables, but to be a chestnut farmer and be like, here, here you go, I have these. That's yeah. really depressing. Well, and it, it struck me that, that I didn't think that chestnuts would be ripe that early in the summer, but that's another issue. Um, it was the end of the summer because they started school, like, uh, three weeks later. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's August. But I still think it's early. Yeah, it's in, weird. Okay. But in any event, but but the the point is that that uh, and and you know, Jen Jen is a Jem Jem is well Scout is is the fighter throughout this whole thing. Yeah, I mean she fights in school, but she also does it in such an innocent and pure way that when when the lynch mob who yeah. wants to uh, kill uh, Tom Robinson and and you know Atticus is sitting out out. In front of the jail with a with a rifle, and the sheriff is somewhere else uh, trying. Yeah, to... Yeah, what the guy said is the sheriff isn't anywhere nearby because we led him on a wild goose chase and we gave him the slip with his his uh, posse or whatever the heck. His, I mean, it, his uh, department. Yeah, his um, department may have been one person. Where Jem is like, Atticus is like, go home, and respectfully he says, no, sir. Where Scout is more smart about it because she goes what's the matter I sure meant no harm Mr. Cunningham no harm taken young lady I'll tell Walter you said hey Let's clear out of here. I really think that was just pure innocence. Yeah. That that she, and I she, said it wasn't she, calculating. Right, right. But it was it. But it, I don't think it had to do with intelligence. I think it had to do with being like a friendly kid who, hey, you know, 
sorry I beat up your kid, but um, here's my social security number. Here's a <laughs> list of my fears. Um, but but you know um, you know remember we we you brought some some stuff over you know brought chestnuts oh, yeah, over you, to my. But they sure were good chestnuts. We know your son Walt. Tell him I say hey. Right, and and she shamed the guy. Uh, without him knowing, it's right. Like, oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna take away this this little girl's father. Atticus knew who all of them were clearly, um, and uh, he couldn't get them to back down. But, but a little kid. Could. But Scott Scout did. I'm Scott. Yeah, Scout did. Scott. <laughs> Wait, is that why you name me Scott? Yes, it is. <laughs> now, now the truth is out. Is I'm that right. why my full name is Jean Louise? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Actually, on the birth certificate, when we wrote it out, we wrote Scout, but the U looked like an O, and they just made it. It looked like a, a T. T. Because made you cross the U, you put an unlot. Yeah, so I made they made it Scout. Yeah, Scott. Scott. <laughs> but I do love when when uh, Atticus is like, Jean Louise Finch meet Mr. Arthur Radley. It's like, is he presenting her like she's a debutante? Well, that, now, that whole scene is so bizarre. I mean, that is the one scene that I thought was a little... But that goes with what you were saying about her childlike innocence. She's like, yeah, some man carried him. Oh, there he is hiding behind that door. Well, that's the thing that got me. And and the only thing I could think of was when the when they're talking at the very end, when the, when the sheriff it, it basically says he fell on his knife because... You know, if if people knew that that Boo Radley killed this horrible human being, he would become a celebrity in town. And with his shy ways, that's the word they used. So so when when I first saw the scene and they opened the, you know, he they're in the bedroom for for a gem and he's got his broken arm or whatever. And he's he's a, he's asleep in bed and and the doctor had left and Atticus and 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 uh, Scout are there and the the sheriff comes in and says, you know, who who was it? Somebody grabbed him. Then I heard someone panting and coughing. Then I saw someone carrying Jim. Well, who was it? And it occurred, occurred to me that, okay, the door, he knew the door was going to open for someone to come in, and that was the only place he could hide. Right. But at first it just suck, struck me as being so bizarre that this, this man is sort of standing in, a, in a, like the dark of, the, of that little area. I had, I had like a John Mulaney moment where, where when that scene's going on, I was just like, doesn't anybody want to know why he murdered this guy? <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> it's like it's like we just found Bob Yule's body and the first the first thought for Atticus is, "Oh my god, my son killed this guy." And he's not asking questions of how it happened, and when they do, it's it's first to your point, it's Hectate who asks because I think Atticus is in shock. Like the entire movie, we see Atticus keeping his shit together and keeping his cool the entire movie. And then this one scene when it involves his kid, he can handle defending a, an innocent man that is accused of a crime, but he can't fathom the, the fact that this town, this community could have possibly assuaged his son after what he saw all summer 
into turning him into a person like this. I think that's what he was thinking. Like, like, well, well, okay. One of the things that, that they go into a little bit, um, but you, the, the book, neither the book nor, nor the movie gets into is the fact that there's a lot of people who hate Atticus Finch because he is, uh, defending, defending, Tom, defending, Tom Atticus is the person that they go to when something needs to get done that no one else is willing to do. There's a reason why the judge, the judge had to pick the attorney. I, I always have a theory that the judge from like the get-go knew that Tom Robinson didn't do anything. I always had a feeling. That's why of all the attorneys he could have picked, he picked Atticus. Right. Well, it's also possible that none of the other attorneys would want to do that job. Oh, like in Philadelphia where no one wanted to defend... Uh, Tom Hanks's character because he was a gay man who had AIDS. Well, it's, I mean, there, the, uh, there, there's history is replete with with attorneys and, and being an attorney. Um, you know, uh, we 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 don't always get to pick our clients, but um, there are there are some. Well, I mean, look at look at. But look, the judge said that he went to Atticus first. Right, because he knew Atticus wouldn't turn it down. Yeah. Right. That that's my point. I'm saying right. that that he also wanted Atticus is the best lawyer in this town. In this county. Yeah, he's known in this town as being a man of the people. He is he is a good father. He refuses to play football for the Methodists. <laughs> and he, I think that what's his name that the judge knew all this and that's why he picked Atticus cuz he knew Atticus Already has a lot on his plate, but he knows that Tom Robinson could get the best defense possible and with a person who is well-known in town and has a reputation. Because even Bob Yule, when at the beginning, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry that you have to do this. Like, he still respects Atticus, but then he starts... He turns. He starts to turn when he realized, oh, this guy figured out everything that happened. Right. And... And he knows the truth, right? He Atticus makes his him and his daughter look like the trash that they are, right? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have worded it that way, but yes. <laughs> so the actor who played Bob Yule is uh, James Anderson, and after he made this movie, he's like, "Oh man, I'm not going to get roles as loving fathers ever again." Like he literally went on. He's like, "I'm going to be casted as villains from now on." Was he? Uh. Yeah, kind of. Um, I mean, he was the sergeant in Little Big Man. He was the lead, uh, the the chain gang overseer and take the money and run. Um, he didn't really have much. He was Hiller on Gunsmoke. Um, but yeah, he maybe played a sheriff in 1967 on the guns of uh, of Will Sonnet, but that that was oh. about it. I remember that show. Yeah, that was about it. Like, he never really played a good guy after that. There's a lot of ugly things in this world, son. I wish I could keep them all away from you. That's never possible. Getting back to uh, Ewell, uh, he, 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 he had to be a good actor because he really uh, inspires uh, the... the um, uh, distaste of the audience i mean they hate this guy <laughs> yeah 
his performance, do you know what it really reminded me of? Like, it's a character who at first we're supposed to be like, are we supposed to be sympathetic because something happened to his daughter? But then, then when you realize, like, what type of person he is, he reminded me a lot of Christoph Waltz in, in, in Glorious Bastards, like the character of Hans Landa, because here is a man who is a Nazi, who is a bad man, who hunts down Jews, know, Jews, uh, our people, and and they they never for once make him empathetic or sympathetic, but you can't take your eyes off him because what is he going to do next? Same thing with James Anderson as Bob Yule. It's like, okay, he's drunk now. What is he going to do? Oh, uh, he spit in his face. He's drunk now. What is he going to do? Oh, he spit in Atticus' face again? Yeah, except, except um, uh, uh, Waltz's... Christoph Waltz. Yeah, yeah. Waltz's character, he, the way that he's such a good actor that you're, he's almost a little bit endearing. For a Nazi to be endearing, he, he's... Right. No, yeah, I mean... Personality-wise. Well, okay, so that's, that's why uh, Tarantino ended up writing the part of Dr. King Schultz and Django because he wanted someone who is to see how endearing and how wonderful Char- he's a charming guy where where Bob Yule our James Anderson on the other hand his character is just so at first he's like okay this is just he's a product of society this is you know where to believe this is what happens in this town this is the mindset. But then the more you learn about him, it's like you have an onion and the more layers you peel back, you see how rotten the onion is oh, on yeah. the inside because when for anyone who knows cooking at all, when an onion goes bad, it actually goes bad from the inside out. So that's why when they say when you peel back the layers of an onion, that's what they're referring to. So he is literally an onion. Because the more you peel back from him, it's like, oh, I don't like this guy. No, I don't like his daughter either. I, lo- I love when, um, did you notice that with Mayella? She never puts her hand on the Bible. Yeah, I know. She she has it a little she bit over. She hovers over it. I, I noticed that. Where he flat out, he's like, I have nothing to hide. So are you saying he's like Krabby Appleton, um, rotten to the core? Can you do, please leave my house? Do you know Do you know who Krabby Appleton no. is? Oh, my gosh. Um Tom Terrific from Captain Kangaroo. I guess I'm really old. Wow, you are old. Yeah, are you he was talking about that the Mr. Body character too from Captain Kangaroo. You know, there's an interesting story about Captain Kangaroo. Bob Keeshan, yeah. the guy who played him. Um there was an interview that I think uh Dick Cavett had with um Jack P- P- Palance. Jack Palance, yeah. Um who was a war hero. And uh, and he stormed the beaches of Normandy and Jack whatever. Palance stormed the beaches of Normandy. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And and um, and and all I thought about Jack Palance is he was really after the legend of Curly's Gold. City Slickers too. In real life, <laughs> he had a life before he became an actor. So he was he was among the, and and he said he said no, I was not a hero. He said the guy who was a hero was Bob Keeshan. and 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 Captain uh, Kangaroo was a war hero. He was a medic. Oh. He went. He was storming the beach as a medic without a rifle and just trying to help the wounded. And that's what Jack Palance uh, said about Bob Keeshan, Captain Kangaroo. 
Oh, wow. He was like uh, uh, Andrew Garfield's character in Hacksaw Ridge. He wouldn't carry a weapon. That's insane. But, um, well, I mean, medics aren't, they can't carry weapons. And they, you know, they have the red cross on, which is supposed to prevent them from being shot. But to, to me, that would be like a biggest, biggest target that, you know, okay, let's, let's kill all the people who are, who are trying to help the wounded. Um, you know, to me, that's yeah, what I yeah, think yeah. that they the, these enemy soldiers would consider. But in any event, getting back to um, uh, to kill a mockingbird, the thing that you came on here to talk about. Oh no, I wanted to talk about Tom Terrific, but no, that was just a yeah, horrible yeah. cartoon. Uh, but the bad guy was Krabby Appleton. Yes, thanks. Okay, Dan. so there you go. I that's that's my throwback Thursday on a Sunday or Saturday, whatever. <laughs> uh, so back back to. Um, to kill a mockingbird. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, you talk about the the courtroom scene, and and the judge. Yeah. You know who the judge was? No. His name is Paul Fix. Yeah. And do did you recognize him as being the sheriff in the Rifleman? No, but I did know that he was Doctor Horace in Giant, and he's in Red River also. Right, but he, he was a lot of doctors. He played Micah, the sheriff in uh, in the Rifleman. Actually, I remember seeing the very first Rifleman that had him as a character, and he was a drunk. And he was he was a drunk who who Lucas McCain basically rehabilitated, and he ultimately becomes the sheriff. And he's a regular on the show. Yeah, he was on the first season of Barnaby Jones. Paul Fix was a patient of of my father's and your grandfather's. What? Yep. I remember I remember seeing the So how's his teeth? <laughs> his teeth were great. My father was a dentist and and he was a great one. Um but uh I remember watching the rifleman and the, the sheriff walks on and my father would say, "That's Paul Fix. He's a patient of mine." Since both of them are dead, I'm not I'm not revealing any any de- HIPAA? any any dentist patient <laughs> I believe that's called HIPAA. Yes. Well, they didn't have HIPAA in the in the 50s, 50s and, and 60s. 60s. I just I just picture Grandpa being like, "Yeah, that that's Paul Fix. Amazing molars, incredible <laughs> incisors, man, pearly whites." You want to go see To Kill a Mockingbird? <laughs> so no, but that's whenever I see Paul Fix, that's the first thing I think of. Of is <laughs> your dad cleaning his teeth? Yep, yep. How bizarre is that? Now I have the image of Grandpa reading his lines to him for To Kill a Mockingbird as he's working on his teeth. I'll take the case. Great job. <laughs> Please spit. Did the, the, the jury have a verdict? <laughs> <laughs> no, Atticus, I know you're really busy. <laughs> but in any event. Yeah, that that's why I didn't know it was Paul Fix. I yeah. thought I thought it was just like some throwaway character. Oh no, no, Paul Fix was 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 a he was you know you know who else was in it? William Winden. Yeah, he was. Um, did you do a root canal for him? Or? No, 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 no. But he was he was in a TV show with uh, I think it was Inger Stevens, and it was like uh, the governor's the governess or or. Um, she was like, the, she was sort of like the nanny to his kids and he was like, uh, oh, it was like, like family affair. Like he was the dad, right? Yeah. He was the dad and, and, uh, um, he was a widow, widower. Yeah. And, and you know, cause uh, he played, he played the, the prosecutor, the defense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He was also Mr. Hatfield and Uncle Buck. 
That's how I know him. But what what he was in a TV show, and I can't remember what the name of it was. Um, there are a million TV shows on his IMDb right yeah, now. Yeah, but no, he was he was like in every episode. Uh, and, and the farmer's daughter. I guess it's not showing up here. Oh, really? Because Inker Stevens was the farmer's daughter who who was who uh, moved in as the governess for him. Oh, he was on Murder She Wrote. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was he was her doctor friend. Okay. Who I am convinced to this day that Murder She Wrote, all those murders happening on that small Nantucket style island, Jessica Fletcher was the one doing it. <laughs> to this day, <laughs> she I, she was really clever and framed all these other all people. these people, and the doctor was in on it, and he's like, "I'll keep your secret if you keep mine." <laughs> I have so many malpractices. <laughs> but yeah, um, everyone in this film, like all of these old actors. I was watching this movie and I'm like, yeah, ninety five percent of the cast in this movie is dead. Oh, like Alex Alice Ghostly, she was in this movie. Yeah, she played on Stephanie. Right. But who who played the who played the, the hot neighbor across the street? Can you stop saying the <laughs> hot neighbor? Well, back in the thirties she would have been smoking and, and Are you talking about Maudie? Yes. Yeah, that was Rosemary Murphy. I have no idea what who she was or what I never I don't have any recollection. She was of, so she was in Mighty Aphrodite. She was in um uh oh she was in a ton she's a theater actress. She she was from um the New Stage Theater in New York which became um Off Broadway. Uh-huh. She was one of the finding founding members. So she's an actress. She's like Old theater, right? But so, they, they, they so really her didn't... movie credits are literally this: Mighty Aphrodite, um, Afterlife with Liam Neeson, and Synecdoche, New York, with Schenectady. Char- no, no, it's pronounced Synecdoche. It's Charlie Kaufman's movie. Oh, Synecdoche. Yeah, it. Yeah. Weird. Um, she was also on Frasier. Oh, but uh, you know, considering that she was such a an impressive actress. Her character really did almost nothing. Well, I hate to tell you this, Dad, but back in the 60s, roles for women were not written very well. No, no, I understand. I mean, to me, the best actress in this movie, I mean, besides Scout, who was nominated for an Oscar for this. Oh, um, Adam was... Uh, yeah, what, what is her name? Mary... Batum. Batum. Mary Batum. She was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, spoiler alert, she lost. I think she lost. Did she lose to... Tatum O'Neill. I think she did. No. Um, no, it can't be. No, Paper Moon was 72. Never mind. Yeah. Um, I was just kidding about Tatum O'Neill. Yeah, I thought she lost to a child actor. Um, but <laughs> it it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, with the exception of Scout, all of the female roles in this movie are underwritten. And my favorite actress in this movie is Estelle Evans as Calpurnia. Because the scene that gets me every time with Cal is when he asks if she can stay. And at first she's like, I know exactly why you're asking me to stay. And she, right away she's like, yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Th- th- this was when he went to the jail to protect uh, Robinson from the lynch mob. Right. And... and uh little fun fact about Tom Robinson. Yeah. Do you know who almost got the role before Brock Peters? Don't tell me Sidney Poitier. No, James Earl Jones. Really? And do you know who Brock Peters did the radio voice for, for radio plays of Star Wars? He was the radio voice for Darth Vader. Really? Which James Earl Jones played. 
in Star Wars. It's insane. He was he was terrific. He 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 was he was a very inspirational victim. Well, Brock Peters was like best friends with Gregory Peck after this that he gave Gregory Peck's eulogy at his funeral in 2003. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, and also both the actor who played Jem, uh Phil Alfred and Mary Bedham always stayed in contact with Gregory Peck. And when he checked in, he always referred to them as Gem and Scout, and they always called him Atticus. Yeah, no, I, I mean, <clears throat> uh, Gregory Peck was an extraordinary human being, uh, and, and uh, you know, among his movies, uh, obviously this is among the most inspirational, but he also did a movie called Gentleman's Agreement, which you yeah. know very well. <laughs> yes. For, for my bar mitzvah, I had to watch movies about... Uh, Judaism and on the list was Gentleman's Agreement, which I found ironic because they gave us a list of these movies, and apparently our rabbi had not seen any of the films. On them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why are you having me watch these? But well, yeah, so we watched Gentleman's Agreement, and there's something about Gregory Peck in this, in Gentleman's Agreement, even in uh, oh uh, Roman Holiday, like. He he's such a towering presence, but he he makes people feel like he's at the same level as them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh no, it, it's it's an incredible ability, and uh, that's why I I find it so shocking that he was like, oh, I I only thought I was so so in this movie. But like Gentleman's Agreement, I think was done in like 1947, or it was just right after the World War Two. Yeah. 40 and something. and and the the thing. Forty four. I think it was like. At the uh, tail end. I, I think it was after World War II. I'm checking. I'm checking. Because uh, it might have even been as late as 51 or 52, but I think it was 47. And uh, uh, the, the, the premise behind the movie, and, and I believe it was a book, too. Yeah, um, it was a book. It was, all, it, it was a play first. Really? Okay. Or, um, but in any event, what, what it's behind it is... Um, he's pretending he's, to be a Jewish man. Well, he was a reporter who wanted to investigate anti-Semitism in, in, in uh, corporate America. And he would send identical uh, resumes, one with the name of, like, Richard Green and then Richard Greenberg. And they would be... right, 47. And, well, see, even the old man gets one right yeah, once in a while. Yeah, blind squirrel finds a nut. So, um, uh, so always Green would get all the interviews and Greenberg would never get the interviews. And then, of course, he, he has a relationship with a woman... Um, and he finds out that she's she's got her own biases and and is it was very it was very prolific for its time yeah and and, and controversial too yeah oh you're telling me that Elia Kazan made a controversial movie you don't well, say well but but remember you know this movie predates him doing Atticus Finch yes but Elia Kazan at this point did on the waterfront yep so he's no stranger for co- to controversial movies so. I mean, Gregory Peck, if you look at his movies, the ones in the 70s, like in the 70s, he was trying to break the whole Atticus image. That's where he did films like The Omen and... um, Did he do Guns of Navarone? Was he in that? I think he was. Uh, Boys from Brazil is the one where he played Mangala, and he, he was trying to break that. He also did some westerns. Yeah, and he was in Cape Fear and Other People's Money. Cape Fear, he was good in Cape Fear. That was a good movie. Wasn't Robert Mitchum the, the bad guy in that one? Well, he was in both versions. Oh, really? He was 
in the first one that comes up is the Scorsese one. But yeah, Robert, wh- is it Robert Mitchum? Hold on, I'm checking. Um, and I thought De Niro was in the other one. Yeah, De Niro is in the other one. And unfortunately, Nick Nolte. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, how's it? Yeah, it's Gregory Peck and Robert Mitchum. And both Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck are in the other version as well. Um, which is insane. So I listen to a few other podcasts, and uh, the, the majority of them is where they try to recast movies. And some of them are trying to recast classic films like this. I can't think of anyone recasting this i mean i it's on broadway right now or when broadway comes back they're bringing back aaron sorkin's version of to kill a mockingbird okay aaron sorkin rewrote it and the person who they have on broadway playing it is jeff daniels that that was the name that came to mind right away with for me and when they replace him, I'm like oh well the show has to close up because you can't have someone that is as charismatic and you know who they replaced him with the first round? I'm trying to think. It It's going to click for you, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, too. Go Ed, ahead. Ed Harris. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because the only other person that I could think of um, is Bill Pullman. I think Bill Pullman would be a good Atticus. My favorite choice is, unfortunately, dead, because Bill Paxton. Imagine Bill Paxton as Atticus Finch. Bill Paxton's dead? Just kidding. That's not funny. <laughs> like, when, when I found out Bill Paxton died, I cried. You know, it's, it, you know, these days with me, it's like, okay, is, is this person alive or is this person dead? And then when I hear somebody's dead, I go, is that person died? Did I miss that somehow? Yeah, the other thing you do, too, is like, well, I'm older than him. I outlived <laughs> that person. <laughs> I beat him. <laughs> All right, just add another notch to my belt. <laughs> um, I need a new belt. Yeah, but, I, I was trying to think of of someone who who could who who could really command the 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 stage and the the respect. And you would buy them as this character because right, like, Jeff Daniels immediately came to because mind. Jeff Daniels can go into a character very well. It's like, oh yeah, it, it does kind of look like Jeff Daniels, but he makes you believe it. Because if it was like George Clooney as Atticus Finch, it's like mm-hmm. that's George Clooney. Yeah, no, or that's no. Brad Pitt. Yeah, uh, well, I don't think either of them. I mean, as as good as they are and what they do, I don't think either of them could right, do I'm Atticus Finch. Right, I'm saying character actors. Oh, I got it. Know who would be pretty good too? One of my favorite actors of all time, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein might be able to pull it off. Yeah, I, I could see that. I love Kevin Klein. I could see Kevin Klein yeah. doing it. The other interesting thing that they're doing with um, the Broadway version of To Kill a Mockingbird is they casted adults as the kids. But they're, oh. But they're playing kids. No, no, I understand what you're saying. Well, they're doing that to get around the whole, uh, <laughs> the whole child labor. <laughs> right. Performing. But, but you know what? I have a... Well, the actress who played Scout won the Tony for playing Scout. Really? Apparently, she's really good. Oh, okay. I mean, they're not casting like forty-five-year-old people, Dad. They're no, casting- no, I understand that, but but can you imagine Annie with like a nineteen-year-old Annie? Yeah, they did that. Sarah Jessica Parker in the eighties. Oh my God! Or she was sixteen, like Flight of the Navigator. Jessica Parker, Sarah Jessica Parker. They they do it all the time. They cast twenty-somethings uh. to play children. 
Yeah, I I just it it it. Uh, well, the when you see the photos, I'm a purist. It, what can I tell you? <laughs> when you see the photos, it will irk you to high heaven. <laughs> like, but Scout in this movie is much different than the Scout in the book. Scout in the book is less curious. Jem is more curious in the book. See, yeah, well, oh yeah, she is more curious in the book because, you know, she, they, they well they have time to develop that in the book that they don't in the in the in the movie in the, in the movie yeah. she's more there's, there, yeah well but there's there's a there's a tree with like a a hole in it type of thing like a natural hole where there's all sorts of stuff and and in the book you know she finds some thread or she finds a watch or Jem finds the thread and the watch and the the crayons and but it's in the it's in the beginning of 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 the movie there's a like a cigar, cigar box well, you, they open it up, and there's all the stuff in there. Yeah. And I always thought that was Scout stuff. It's theirs because it's in their room. Okay. Yeah. Well, the amazing theme by Elmer Bernstein is playing. The, I, th- I thought the movie, uh, the, the music in the movie was amazing. The I, score to this film, the fact that this did not win the Oscar for Best Score is insane. <laughs> you know, as I was watching it, I, I, I was, you know, I saw, oh, Elmer Bernstein, you know. Um, yeah. Um. He did Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> did, didn't he also do uh, Animal House? Yeah. So I'm saying, okay, so this is Elmer Bernstein, and and I'm just listening to it, and I'm I'm listening to how the music really helps set the mood. Yeah, because when it swells, because honestly, if you got in this far in the podcast, you already know that after I did my stupid little shill at the beginning, I put in the, the theme to this movie, but... The the opening chords of when it swells, when the music swells, um, like every time it gets me, it, it like really hits me in the solar plexus. It like kills me because I don't want to say it's like the music is like a character in this film, but the music is like a character in this film. It really sets the tone. And it, uh, Elmer Bernstein said that he wrote the music not to be like to set tension and tone like it would to follow an adult. He tried to do it from a curiosity perspective so that it sounded like it was in the mindset of a child. Interesting. Yeah. And when he wrote Ghostbusters, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was not afraid of no ghosts. Well, well, you know, and, and I want to get back to, to Atticus because Atticus is, Atticus is the movie. He yeah. really is. Miss Jean Louise. Miss Jean Louise, stand up. Your father's passed. He's he's so well, first of all, he's very respected among them. Yeah, so the scene they had to cut away from uh uh Gre- I forgot Gregory Peck's name. Atticus. To, well, no, but I forgot Gregory Peck's actual <laughs> name. They had to cut away from Gregory Peck because when he's walking and everyone stands up, Gregory Peck got so emotional. He got emotional twice in that scene that they had he had to look somewhere else. When he was questioning um, uh, Tom Robinson, he had to look past him as he was telling the story or he was going to break down and cry, and he had to look straight ahead 
while he was leaving and all the all the the entire community is watching him and showing respect that he defended Tom Robinson that like after they yelled cut he just went into the hallway and he's like I need a minute and then he just starts like weeping well you know it, it's it's it, well first of all I shouldn't be surprised at all um that the courthouse was segregated the white people were ground level and and the black people were uh in the balcony yeah which uh, is ironic because Next, one of the movies we'll be talking about next month, Pleasantville, they literally stole that. They they copied that verbatim for the trial scene. And once again, uh, Elmer Bernstein, not only was he, he wrote the score to this, but he also did the score to Airplane, Stripes, Heavy Metal, An American Werewolf in London, The Chosen, Airplane 2, the sequel. <laughs> oh, he couldn't get Airplane 1, huh? He got Airplane 1. Oh, okay. Yeah, I said, said Airplane 1. Oh, okay. Um, and Trading Places. He did He did the music for Trading Places. And unfortunately, one of his last scores is he did the music for uh, Wild Wild West. The music is actually one of the few things that's good in Wild Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> but in any event, so... so uh, um, Oh, also, um, the person who's playing piano, the piano that opens up the score. Yeah. John Williams. Really? Yeah. Wow. John Williams played the piano in To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, you were saying something to me yesterday. You said that, unfortunately, <laughs> we're, we're dog people. And there is a scene, unfortunately, where a rabid dog has to be put down. And you pointed out the fact that it seems like Atticus is the person that they go to in town when there is a tough job that no one wants to do. Right. And it is so true. And it kind of feels like Jem is going to pick up that mantle because he, he he's terrified when he goes to the, to the um, courthouse to stand up next to his dad when the mob gets there. But he there. was the one who forced them all to go. Well, he was going to go himself and everyone else followed. Yeah. Yes, but once again, I feel that eventually, Jem. I haven't read Ghost Out of Watchmen. I I'm not going to. I'm not either. Um, she didn't want it released. I'm not going to. You know. Yeah, I I am not going to read a money grab book. Um, but everything about the Finch family, I guess, really mirrored to a T, Harper Lee's real life. To the point where when she, even though she claimed that no one was based on any real person, she then, as they were filming, she was like, no, this, Atticus is based on my dad and, and Dill is based on Truman Capote. Right. Um, she broke down and cried because when he, the first shot that they filmed in this movie was him coming home from work and uh, him saying, uh, oh, hello, Mr. Bose. Your flower bed looks lovely and like Oh that woman, the old lady. The old lady who was like swearing at Scout, called her an ugly girl. Um so she had to remove herself and when Gregory Peck saw that, he's like, Excuse me and, and she's like, What's what's the matter? And she goes, You remind me so much of my father. Um that he's like, Well, why don't you bring your father to the set? So the real life uh I believe his name is Amasa Lee. Amasa M A M a-S-A. Amasa Lee? Ama- Amasa Lee. Okay. Um, became so enamored with Gregory Peck that he died before the movie was released. And on his deathbed, he gave Harper Lee his pocket watch 
and she, she gave it to Gregory Peck, and it was on him, and he's buried with it. Oh, my God. I did not know it's that. It's incredibly sweet and incredibly depressing. <laughs> All I can say was I'm glad it was a Masa Lee as opposed to Bruce Lee. That would have changed the whole tenor yes. of the movie. Yeah, or... or uh, <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Lee. There you go. Christopher Lee would have been good too. Yeah, Sarah um, Lee cakes. In any event, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, uh, when I the first time I saw the movie, um, and I'd seen the movie before I'd read the book, uh, 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 as you know, as you a saw kid. it in in sixty four when it came out, right? Sixty two. Sixty two. Yeah, I was like ten or eleven, I think, at the time. Yeah. Um, I might have been twelve. Um, but uh, I saw the movie and. First of all, it was sort of jarring for me because at that point, it was very unusual for a movie to be released in black and white. Back then, yeah. when you went to the movie theater, everything was color and there was lots of color. And, you know, the more vibrant the color, the better. And here comes this movie in black and white, which I know they did on purpose because obviously, you know, black and white. The original test they did is they tried doing it in sepia, and it just looked really bad. Oh, really, huh? Yeah. but It, it, it looked like there was something wrong with the film. Oh, but in any event, so, you know, I go to see this black and white movie, and I, I see the the sheriff. He's got a rifle because he and the sh sheriff in Atticus pull up when they get the call from Calpurnia that there's a, a, a mad a, dog. A mad dog, yeah. <clears throat> and this this poor dog. That dog should have gotten an Academy Award because that dog really looked like... He, yeah. He, he, All right, we're going to take some Alka-Seltzer and put it in his mouth. Well, but also the way that it was walking, and I mean, it was it looked very, very weird. Um, Usually what they do for that is they spin the dog around and then they yell action. Is that what they do? Back then. That's oh, what they well, then... Now they can train the there, dog. There, there goes my Lassie, Rin, Tin, Tin, and... and uh, uh, do you think like you have some Marlon Brando dog who's like, Wait a minute, I need to get in a character. I got rabies. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. What would it be like if I got bit by a rabid raccoon? <laughs> All right, it's going through my body now. <laughs> but in any event, so in that scene, so the, 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 the car pulls up and it's the sheriff and, and Atticus, and the sheriff's got the rifle. And Atticus is standing there, and the sheriff says, Atticus, you take the shot. And, the sheriff, and Atticus says, well, you got the rifle. And he says, no. Not you anymore. Were, he goes, you, were, you know, you were the best shot in the county. And I said, okay. So they did they do that just to, to let you know that Atticus Finch is more than just a lawyer? Or, or uh, you know, or did they? And then, and then it struck me, well, nope. It's they did it because shoot he didn't want to shoot the dog, and and uh, you know, and I, I I know that he got an uncredited role in Old Yeller. Um, no, he didn't. Oh, okay. Stop it. <laughs> You're terrible. It's just as bad as method acting dogs. B Bambi. <laughs> no, actually, you know who the hunter and Bambi turned out to be, right? No, I have no idea. Gaston from from Beauty and the Beast. No, that's who it's supposed to be. No, really? He uses antlers in all of his decorating? Oh, my God. <laughs> my whole life has just changed. But, yeah, so so with this town, they're taking so much of the, from this man, and then they want to just, like, destroy his name. Well, the Yules do. The Yules do. Oh, well, well yeah, but... Like, like, all of the people who matter in this town 
don't. But the Yules, this family, like, they made it seem like there's like a million kids running around their farm. But then anytime you see it, it's just him and Mayella. Right. I mean, I think that I think that that one of the themes in this was the the way that Atticus was revered in the black community. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made a point of going to talk to um, the family, the family, Helen, his uh, Tom Rock. twice. He went there twice, and 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 then of course after um, Robinson is is shot and killed, he he's the one who goes and tells her that her husband is dead. Yeah. Again, another job that nobody else wants to do. However, the way that he does it is uh, he doesn't have the best bedside manner because he goes, so how are we going to work? Uh, uh, Tom's father's like, how are we going to work on the appeal? And he goes, there's not going to be an appeal. Not now, not ever. Tom's dead. <laughs> that that Right, and, and she, well, he didn't, I don't know if he expected, th- th- I got the sense that he thought that she was like in another room, like, you know, lying on bed, lying on her bed, dealing with the, the with the adverse um, trial results. Yeah. And, 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 but apparently she was standing like right Five outside the front door, right outside the front door. So when he says, um, Tom is dead, Tom is dead. She's right. She's there in a snap. And, and then of course swoons into fortunately somebody waiting there to catch her. Yeah. Tom's dad. Okay. So the one thing that in that scene that really gets me is when, Bob Yule shows up. Is he drunk at this point, or is he? Just- oh, he's always drunk. I thought he was drunk on the stand too. Okay, so when Bob Yule shows up, he looks like he's about he's gonna punch Atticus, and then Atticus walks towards him, and he realizes, like, you remember in Back to the Future Part Two when when Marty is gonna like punch Biff, and then Biff stands up, and he's like, seven- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that he's like seven feet tall. That's what it felt like. He's like, I'm going to punch out Atticus Finch. He's like, oh, no, wait, he's huge. Yeah, so all he does is spit in his face? Yeah. Which, so, which by the way... Post-COVID, like, in, <laughs> after after what we went through last year, when he spit in his face, I was cringing like there was no tomorrow. Even before COVID. That's so you know, gross. He, he, you know, and all he does is stand there. And and he takes out his handkerchief and just wipes it off. He he feels that Ewell is so beneath him that and it's not like I'm superior and you're not. It's just you're not worth my time. I'm not going to waste my energy on you. So what I always loved about Gregory Peck is when they were casting Harry Potter, they were only going to go with British actors until the studio had until Chris Columbus, who was directing the movie, is like, what if we got Gregory Peck to be Dumbledore? And they almost considered it, and then he got diagnosed with cancer, and (laughs) that kind of put the kibosh on it. And then they got Richard Harris, who then died of cancer. Right. So, but imagine Gregory Peck as Dumbledore. Well, yeah, I can see it. Look, I can, I can imagine Gregory Peck in any role in which he is commanding uh, respect. And admiration. Okay. And he was the fourth person to pick, be picked for this role. They didn't want him. The studio did not want him. They did not want Gregory Peck? They did not want him. Who they want? Um, um, I can I can see them wanting um, Gary Cooper. No. But he's too old probably at that point. He was dead at that point. He was dead in 62? I think he was. Oh, man. They wanted Spencer Tracy. 
Nah. But he was he was doing uh I think he was doing it's a mad 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 world at that point. Wow. Um and Universal they wanted Rock Hudson. Oh man. That would no have been offense. a bad choice. Uh but well the reason why that, that would have been a bad choice is at this point Rock Hudson was only doing uh like pillow talk in these rom coms yeah, right. with Doris Day. Like I'm sorry, but I do not see Rock Hudson as Atticus Finch. The other person who I'm trying to find it right now, um, I think it was <laughs> Walter Matthau. No, <laughs> Jean Louise Finch. <laughs> no, it was um, oh my God, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Uh, Clark Gable. Oh, Clark Gable. Still too th- old, right? Him and Tracy would have been way too old at this point. Oh yeah, Tracy definitely. Um, uh, especially to have kids that young. Well, no, Atticus is supposed to be older. He had he had kids at a young, at an old age. He's. I don't care. You know, Tracy was would have been in his seventies. So Spencer Tracy did have kids at like sixty, dead. sixty or seventy. There's a difference between sixty and seventy. <laughs> You know, yeah. And, and when you're in your 60s, you're still a sexagenarian. When you're 70, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cut it out! Hey, uh, that's my dad joke for the for the show. You've already told 12 dad jokes <laughs> at this point. But yeah, the 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 final person that Universal. I'm trying to remember who was under contract. I think was it. I th- no, it wasn't. I think Gary Cooper. It was George C. It. Scott. He's great, but I don't. I I don't see him yeah. doing doing Atticus Finch. I just and I I can't see anybody. I mean, Je- I can see Jeff I, Daniels uh, pulling yeah. it off, but I don't. I still don't think that he would be as good well, as Gregory. Okay, Peck. so I I can see Gregory Peck. I can also see. Um, I just had him a minute ago, but he wasn't even on any of the lists I saw. Um. Oh, I can see Clark Gable. I can see Clark Gable. Um but the the other person um the studio was curious to see how John Wayne would attest it. Oh, it was Jimmy Stewart. It was Jimmy Stewart. Oh, okay. I could see Jimmy Stewart doing this. Jim- I could see him doing right. that. Right. Jimmy Stewart almost signed on, but then with the subject matter, he didn't want to be the person who had to how how did he word it? He said he didn't feel that he was the right person to to represent not just, you know, a single father but an altruistic man because he's played this role so many times that that it seemed like it was time for him to just focus on like a different genre. He's played this role a bunch. He's been this role. No, no, I get that, but but I think that that he would be able to com- command the 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 respect that that um, and the stature. I mean, they're both very tall men. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I I mean, I I could see Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda could probably do it too. I, I what would, about Tony Curtis? 
Scout, you're marvelous. No, no, no. I li- I like Tony Curtis, but I oh, don't. Oh, um, and hold on, there was there's another name. There's someone I'm forgetting. If now. you say oh. Jack Lemmon, I'm walking no, out. No, it's not Jack Lemmon. He was in Dave Wayne Wayne and Roses. Oh, it was Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Kirk. Du- well, and too and to young be on- though, right? No, Kirk Douglas would have been older. This would back have been then. Spartacus age, right? Um, yeah, but he was older even then. He could, he might have been able to pull it off. Um, Mitchum might have been able to pull it off. <sighs> Maybe, but I I think Gregory Peck was, is just like whenever I think of this movie and I think of this role. Hi, Stella. Are, are you giving Pop Pop some kisses? <laughs> whenever I think of this movie, Gregory Peck is the first person, and then the second person that I think of is is. Elmer Bernstein in the music. I always think of this score. I mean, for the longest time, this was when you would call me. This was your ringtone. What? No, it wasn't. Yeah, the To Kill a Mockingbird theme. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. I never had that as my ringtone. <sighs> for you on my phone when you oh, would call oh. me. Oh, okay. On your phone? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I changed it to Bruce Springsteen. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, no, you know... <sighs> I I think there are certain movies that I don't think it can remake. I don't think it can remake Psycho, which they tried to do, and they did it shot for shot too. I know, and I I still don't think. Why do that? Well, uh, my question is, why would Aaron Sorkin, like he's written other plays, he he's written like really good plays. He has one called The Farnsworth Invention, um, which is about how a corporation stole, uh. What, what was his name? Hugo Farnsworth's um, invention for the television. They haven't turned that into a movie, and it's a brilliant play. He's good at writing stuff, and he decided to adapt To Kill a Mockingbird. And the whole speech that Atticus does about To Kill a Mockingbird, he puts that into his closing arguments. Oh, no kidding. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, again, um... He's trying to teach a civics lesson to an entire courtroom when he's supposed to be teaching the civics lesson to his children. I, I the, the only thing that that comes to mind when I think of Jeff Daniels these days is Dumb and Dumber. No, no, jeez, the 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 clip from um, the newsroom. Y- yes, where he's talking about um, how America isn't great, but it can be. Yes, we stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed. Laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. Another Aaron Sorkin thing. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Sorkin loves working with Jeff Daniels. In the last 10 years, he's worked with Jeff Daniels like four times. Well, I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah. Oh, I know who's supposed to replace Jeff Daniels after um, his run. I think it's Michael Keaton. But I'm just going to see Batman. Like, that's all I'll see when I see Michael Keaton. You know, but, well, first of all, I'm old enough to remember when Michael Keaton was just this, you know. In the night shift. Yeah, well, that type of he was a, he was a comedian. He was a he comedy was, actor. Yeah. yeah, and and um, and when when I heard that he was going to be Batman, I said, um, nope. "This is a mistake." 
But he actually pulled it off. Right. And, and you know, since then he's been... But what? he's not Atticus Finch. No. No. Um, I hate to say it being a person who is vertically challenged, but I think it's really important that Atticus Finch be taller. Yeah. I really f- feel that um, you have to have that... You have to command the room, and and, and I, I don't think that... Um, even great short, shorter actors like, you know, a Pacino or a De Niro or or things like that. De Niro is six two. De Niro, he is six two. Yeah. He looks shorter. Okay. How about Pacino? Oh, Pacino short. How about Danny DeVito? <laughs> That's just a trick question. I mean, Sam Rockwell's really short. Yeah, but see, I couldn't see him pulling it off. Yeah. I okay. Um, I think you have to almost tower over. And, the, and okay, the other- there's one person I can see pulling it off who is short. I'm listening. Yeah, but you're judging me as you're doing it. You're like, I'm of course listening. I am. Mark Ruffalo. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. He might be able to do it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. You'll give uh, me the rough. I'll, I will. I, you knew that. That's what we almost named McCoy, right? Bark Ruffalo. <laughs> no. Yeah, we almost named him Bark. Bark Ruffalo. <laughs> <laughs> then we went with McCoy because we didn't want to embarrass him. <laughs> but yeah. So, this role, this film, like, to this day, they still show this in schools. In, not just, like, not just colleges, because I watched this in film school for uh-huh. cinematography and directing. Um, but they show this in high school, in, like, freshman year. I watched this freshman year of high school. Well, it's it's really, you know, it, it, it beats them watching, you know, Beetlejuice. Um <laughs> Why would they show Beetlejuice in high school? Well, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just making up a silly, silly movie. Well, if you want, if you want a silly movie based on a silly book that they teach in high school, you know, there's plenty of them. Any of the the Divergent books, Twilight, <laughs> they teach Twilight in schools now. Oh no! Tell me they're not. They do. Not, next thing you're going to tell me is that they don't teach cursive writing. They don't. Oh man. <laughs> No wonder our country is going to hell. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, but yeah, any any final takeaways before we get into bagels? Because we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, my takeaway is that this is a movie that everyone should see. Every every American. I mean, this ev- is the number one movie for Father's Day sales on Father Day, Father's Day rentals. Like, this is the Father's Day movie. Like, I did not realize that. The, I mean, it's it's such a good message. He's such a good father. Right. He's such a compassionate human being. And I think the moral of the story is, like, teaching your children to have compassion. So one thing that I've been trying to live my life by for the last, you know, couple of months. No. Uh, <laughs> well. Forget those other 30 years. Well, no, no. It, it has to do with, like. COVID like put me in a depressed spot and like you know I wasn't I was sad and scared of germs because that's who I am but the I was watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV yeah and the thing that got me is he starts quoting Walt Whitman and there's this quote that I want to live my life by where instead of judging people be curious be curious not judgmental 
Okay. Why would someone do that? And that's what Atticus Finch teaches his kids. He teaches them to be curious, to walk a mile in their shoes. Like right. when when Scout wants to judge uh uh Walter Walt Cunningham for putting syrup on his food. Right. He he basically tells her to stop by sending in Calpurnia because he knows in a situation like that she'll listen to Calpurnia over listening to him. Really? It, that it never occurred to me that that when that... when Scout needs to be lectured, she doesn't get lectured by Atticus. She gets lectured by Calpurnia. When Jem needs to be lectured, he gets because she almost has a makeshift family where Calpurnia is like a mother to her, and and Jem goes to Atticus for life lessons. And the scene that like proves all of this about what a what a father is and what a good father is and like it's. It's, and I have to talk about this before we end because I realized we went the entire hour and a half without talking about this. Is the scene where he's listening to the kids talk about what their mother was like, and he's outside. It's when Hectate, uh, when the judge comes to ask him to. Yep, I can, and, and he and, can hear them, and he can hear them, and his response. Apparently, they did that in real time. Like the kids thought they were being filmed, but Robert Mulligan wanted added, uh, kept a camera on. And Gregory Peck didn't tell him it was rolling, and then, then they just recorded him, and then they cut in the scene of the judge coming. That I I had no idea that about and that. That's one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Oh no, it's it's very powerful because and it's a father hearing about the woman he loved and how he lost her and how his children remember. And it's very powerful. Yeah, Scout for, doesn't remember her at all, and Jem vaguely remembers her. Well, he remembers her in, enough so that he can tell her things about what a great mother she was. Right. Yeah, it, no, it's, it's... It's it's devastating. And it's why this is... I mean, inside baseball for this podcast, it was between this and Big Fish. And you you picked this. I, I pitched to you Big Fish. And you said, eh, let's do it to Kill a Mockingbird. And I was like, okay. <laughs> well, if I'd known that it was... If I had known that it was the number one rented movie for Father's Day, you would have picked Tombstone. I, no, no, I would have. I, I would have. <laughs> I'm your Huckleberry. Oh man, um, my darling Clementine. No, um, uh, I have my darling Clementine. Uh, uh, no, it, it would have given me more ammunition to argue for for this for this movie. Yeah. Um, you but, only come on for Father's Day, Dad. Right. No, I understand that. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're not going to do Hocus Pocus on Father's Day. No, that's a Halloween movie. Anyway. Well, that's what I'm. That's my point. Thank you for understanding. Next year what we'll I'm be saying. doing Ivan Reitman's Father's Day, starring Billy Crystal and Robin <laughs> Williams. God, that movie's awful. Well, you've already done um, uh, uh, La Cage au Fol, right? Didn't you? Do we that? did the Birdcage. The Birdcage, right? We didn't do La Cage, right? Um, no, I, I remember saying we can do Cinema Paradiso and. You're like, oh, I haven't seen that. And I'm like, it's all in Italian. And you're like, what else? <laughs> well, my Italian is is horrible. There are subtitles. <laughs> my vision is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, this movie is is a movie for, especially in these days where the the racial divide seems to be more uh, prevalent. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it's been exacerbated. Um, this movie, I think, 
helps can help bring people together. If, yeah. if they're willing to if they're willing to actually pay attention to what's going on with an open mind. Actually, I know what I'm going to pick for you for next Father's Day. Okay. I'll tell you off mic. Okay. But I, I think I think it's a really good choice. Okay. Um so how many bagels? How 14. Well, it's out of 13. So you're going 14, you're adding an extra bagel. I'm doing a spinal tap on you. Okay. All right, I'll see your 14 and I'll raise you 15. This <laughs> this film is perfect. Like it, I mean, the the writing is great. It won the Oscar. I do wish that, you know, there were stronger uh female characters and you know it doesn't pass the Bechtel test because they're always when it's Calpurnia or or Scout talking together they're always talking about a dude um, but yeah I, I think this movie is fantastic I think um, Gregory Peck is just unbelievable in this film and, and and I want that white linen suit that he has the pinstripe the gray pinstripe suit that he has the white oh yeah I want that suit so bad. Well, I love you. I love it, you too. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. So, y- if you want to listen to my other podcast, Hell is a Musical, that's on the Zero Science Network. This month we are doing uh, Once, and I believe we have a second episode um, either at the end of June, beginning of July. Um but that's going to be released later. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook for Writer's Bagel Basket. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for Hell is a Musical. Uh, once again, Dad, thanks for doing this. I love you. I love you too, and thank you for having me. Until next time, I'm Scott Curlin. Bye. <laughs>